the book of Acts chapter 3. Guests, let me help you. This is a great place to start studying the scriptures for yourself. If you didn't bring a Bible, just Google Acts 3 and search for Acts 3 in the initials ESV, English Standard Version. That'll be the translation I'm reading, reading from. That's it. I'll do the rest. The book of Acts chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. I'm going to be reading an entire chapter. That's why you want to find your place. I'm going to read an entire chapter plus a few verses even for, in chapter 4 for kicks. But the first translator heading in the English Standard Version is the lame beggar healed. We continue our study of the book of Acts, the biblical record of the first moments of the early church, a book full of suspense and adventure, shipwrecks, court proceedings, supernatural events, courage on display, boldness on display, and also not so pleasing failures on display of the very first Christian. As Jesus, we read in Acts, Jesus in in, in Acts, Jesus inaugurating the church age with the pouring out of his spirit. That's what we, we've seen in Acts chapter 1 and 2. The pouring out of his spirit and his disciples then begin to fan out across the ancient Near East from Jerusalem all the way to the ends of the earth, chasing the spread of the gospel and the kingdom of God as it advances and grows. What an exciting book. And this morning... We read the account of what could be said to be the very, the very first big day in church history. This was a very, very, very good day for the church. A win, you might say. One for the record books. This is a day like no other day you and I have witnessed, I'm pretty sure. But yet it, here it is, and it is glorious, and, and we have so much to learn from it. Surprisingly, so would you look with me? I'm going to read the entire chapter and then some. It's simply astonishing. Chapter 3, verse 1. Follow along and then I'll pray. Luke, our author, writes, verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Verse 2. And, and, a, lame, and a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us, verse 5. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Verse 7. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong, and leaping up he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Verse 11, and while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, 
ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power and piety we have made him walk The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and the God of our fathers glorified His servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release Him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted you to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, my faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Verse 17. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that His Christ would suffer, He thus fulfilled. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to Him in whatever He tells you and it shall be that very soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Chapter 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, (laughs) because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. What a day. These are the very words of God. Would you join me in a brief prayer that we might understand them? Father, we, we feast on your words this morning. These are the most powerful words that will be spoken this morning. We pray you would use them for the good of our souls. Heal us, transform us, oh, teach us, change us, save us. 
Save us from our own folly. Make us different this morning because we read this chapter. Because you're here. Father, send your spirit that your words would be spoken and it would transform lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, said great day <laughs> and these are the these are the kind of good days that that we enjoy because most people prefer what success rather than failure right most people prefer success i know there's some some strange maybe some of you out there not everyone right not everyone likes success more than failure. there are some who like a sad story more than they like a rom-com or whatever you're maybe you're more of an eeyore than a tigger right you're like you kind of like to see the cup half empty and tell everybody else it's half empty. Maybe you think you maybe you just think you need a little misery in your life, right? A little, a little good a good challenge, <laughs> and you're really good at seeing the good in the bad. To you, you know, to, I would think in the famous words of Billy Corgan, <laughs> if you know who he is, the world's like a vampire, right? <laughs> just sent to drain us, and you you, you like that. You like the dark side, but but that's weird a little bit. Because for most of us, most of us, success is where it's at, right? This is a good day. Success is where it's at. We're the Tiggers, not the Eeyores in chapter 3. We have no aversion. I, I got to be honest, I have no aversion to prosperity, all right? And meeting goals and accomplishing great things every day. It makes me so happy as I tick off my tasks. We love to win. We love to be number one. Uh, we don't complain when we are the best and we're the champions. And, and we are fast at taking credit where credit is due, and even when credit is not due. <laughs> this is why, this is actually why, why you, you, we, you're, as your pastors, Mike, Dustin, and I, spend so much time preparing you for suffering and trials and failures and disappointments and bad days, very bad days, rather than preparing you for promotions at work and raises and, and you know, new babies and new friends and planning out your next vacation. Nobody's asking to meet with a, a pastor here to talk about how hard it is to plan a vacation. <laughs> we like success. We like wins. We, like, we find losses and, and defeats and, and, and trials and suffering hard to swallow. Even when we know better, most of us feel like trials and disappointments and sufferings are somehow deviations from what God had planned for us, even when we know better. But success feels right. Well, although it feels good, we don't always want to trust our feelings. There's, there's something quite subtle in chapter 3 about this narrative that we just read. You'd miss it if you weren't reading it carefully, perhaps because it's so pleasing. Naturally, it's just pleasing. For this has got to be one of the best days in church history. Right? This has got to be one of the best days in church history. And you'd think if you and I were there, or even better yet, can you imagine if everything that happened there would be happening here, now among us? We'd be, oh, come on, we'd be high-fiving, glad, handling, right? We'd be writing books 
and blog posts. Some of us would be going on, you know, the, the church and Christian conference circuit, just telling people this is how to do it. This is what's happening here in Orange. We would, oh, this would be, this would be, oh, Pastor Mike, you know, just healing people left and right. <laughs> shutting down the hospital. <laughs> Nobody would be asking for counseling on how to deal with all this prosperity. <laughs> and, and if we were not careful, uh, we'd be susceptible as they were. We, we are susceptible. In some ways, unprepared. Not not yet fully prepared, I fear, to deal not with suffering and trials, but rather success. The test, of, the test of prosperity rather than adversity. And what, so what, what we see, what we've read this morning is so, so encouraging, but not necessarily for the reasons you might have perceived as we read the text. So instructive for, for, for in the early moments of the church, universal, when they experienced the first tastes of fruitfulness, and you might say influence and victory, nobody Nobody was grasping for credit or recognition. Taking credit for where credit was not due. Everyone, it appears in chapter 3, at that moment early on, got it. And they were grounded, prepared for this moment. I wonder, some, how, would we be as prepared in that moment if another couple thousand people showed up next Sunday. Sovereign Grace Church of Orange members are. Would we be prepared? Would it be, I fear, a celebration of us rather than the witness here of a church who celebrated and witnessed to the powerful work of God? that they were observing and experiencing. This, this, if you missed it when we read it, this is what makes my heart so happy when I read this chapter. If you missed it, it is a, it is a picture of a profoundly Christ-centered, gospel-centered, God-centered church. Firing on all eight cylinders. Wheeling and dealing, everything's happening. Things blowing up. And yet, all eyes, all attention, all of the explanation for why this is happening, all the glory goes to Christ. One old church father, he wrote it this way. He said, it is our fatal tendency. I think this is my, it's my fatal tendency to rejoice in the wrong things <laughs> in connection with our spiritual life and experiences. This is what he writes. Humans, I, most of us here, humans 
are so quickly impressed with spiritual success and dangerously blind to pride. Humans are so quickly impressed with spiritual success. I am. And dangerously blinded by pride. So with that in mind, let me, let me, let me point out, there, there, are, there are four things that happen in our text that could have so easily distracted the early church. It would distract me as I read it. I, you're you, you're going to agree. I'm going to guess most of you noticed it, right? And actually, we're going to notice those things and not notice what's in the middle of the chapter that's most impressive of all. The four things in our text that, that could so easily have distracted and, and then derailed the early church, and I think there's some degree potential distractions for us as well. I think you'll agree here in California, Orange, California in 2022, nothing's changed. And so I want to briefly point them out, warn us, and then consider what Peter says instead. But here they are. If you're wondering, I got four of them. We're going to be distracted by our leaders. We're going to be distracted by the miracles. We can be distracted by the persecution. And we can be distracted by the numbers. Number one, the leaders. Go back with me, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 again. Watch. Now Peter and John, verse 1, were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. That would have been about 3 o'clock, not, not 9 o'clock, counting from 6 a.m. Ninth hour, it's the time when everyone's going up to the temple. Verse 2, and a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate. Everyone argues what gate that is. I'm just going to, what's clear from the text is that it was beautiful. Uh, <laughs> called the beautiful gate to ask alms. He's asking for money to the, of those entering the temple and seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple. And you got a feeling here that the, he probably doesn't know who they are, Right? Just another guy stopping at the, at the light right before you get onto the freeway and the guy's holding his sign and he just sees him and asks for alms. Verse 4, and Peter directed his gaze at him as did John. <laughs> John's kind of playing a background role but they're both giving him the weird eye, right? They both look at him and say, look at us. <laughs> and the, the scene is set, Right? Verse 5, and he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Here it comes. But Peter said, I have no silver or, and gold, but what I have, what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Wow. Okay. If your church leaders grab you and say, look at me, <laughs> right? Look at me, and then say, I don't have what you want, but I'm going to give you something, right? We don't, we don't, that was a little weird. But talk about the commanding presence of Peter and John. How impressive two men walking through the temple, capturing the attention of the one who's been marginalized and is trivialized and is just 
sit at the gate every day to collect money. Peter and John, they do what they do best. They walk in and they preach. That's what's happening here. They preach the powerful presence and healing work of our Savior. And they command him to walk in the authority of Jesus. The, these are guys who, I, I don't have this. Pastor Mike doesn't have this. We're still waiting to see if Dustin has this. Uh, and, and Andrew, the pastoral resident, we're waiting. The, the jury's out. I don't, but I don't have this, this, this power to just make things happen. Right? What faith these guys had. And, and you just got to stop right there and say, oh, what danger they would face. What danger we'd all be in if we could do what they could do and just walked around saying, look at me. <laughs> and they were looking at him. Oh, just the fact that you're looking at me. Perilous position. Somehow this is about me. Or for the church, that this was about their leaders. The apostles, their pastors, the, the, the new church leaders, the, the leaders in their community. Somehow the church could attribute what's, what's about to occur, this miracle that comes next, but attribute this to our guys, our team, our, uh, unfortunately in 2022 for a, a church, our brand. We're the Peter and John guys. If I make a comment, we warn ourselves of these things that could distract us. Just the, the poison, I, I use the word poison, the, the, the poison of the celebrity culture that could, that's out there, but could infiltrate in here. We all got names if you've been around the church long enough. We got our favorites. And, and, and they might have done wonderful things. They might have said, look at, look at me, listen to me, and preached the gospel and had wonderful fruit in your lives. And we can depend on them. And when someone says, why are these things happening among you? We would say, Peter and John. Man, if we had a Peter and John, right? But we don't. And you won't. Instead, what do we have? If you haven't caught yet, we have a plurality. We have many men. And, and we're on the, you say, a mission, to, a mission to train more men to be elders and pastors, to be church leaders. We're training women to do ministry and to, to serve you and our community and to be able to be witnesses and proclaim the gospel. Rather than uh, appointing and raising and lifting up one person who that we then accredit with here's the power behind everything we're happening the power and peter or peter says the piety the holiness no no we have a plurality you see you see that in the pulpit men preaching regularly not just me not just even our pastoral team and not just even our pastoral team and other trusted pastors, but among you, just working on that this summer. We're gonna have a series of guys in the church preaching for us. Why? Because it's not the preacher. It's not the preacher. We see this in all kinds of shared ministry. It doesn't mean that we don't honor. It doesn't mean that we don't affirm. Affirm where we see grace at work, but we ruthlessly point and make the connection between the power, 
what, what has been occurring through the ministry of that person and Christ. Right? So we could have been distracted. I, I would have been distracted. I would have been starstruck at that moment. There's Peter and John. Check it out. They're saying, look at me. I'm looking at them too. Right? But beyond that, even more fantastical, number two, the miracle. How distracting would this be? Look, look uh, verse 7. And Peter took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. This is written by uh, a physician. right? So he's adding his little bit of details in there. Verse 8, and I love this. And the, the, the lame beggar, right? Verse 8. And leaping up, <laughs> leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. I don't know about you, but at that moment, I'd be sticking close to Peter and John and asking my doctor if there are any other pre-existing conditions I should know about <laughs> that they could help me with. <laughs> or maybe even just fascinated, fixated on the miracle itself. This man went from being a cripple, unable to walk, not to just walking, but leaping. I don't know how you fake it. This would be so distracting. I would, I would be, oh, and I am so often distracted. Distracted by the fruit of God's power of work among us rather than the good Savior who's doing the work. Note here, just just to be clear, note here that this this healing doesn't take place because because there was a right formula uh, in, in, you know, in being spoken or pronounced or, but, but because the explanation here is because Jesus is openly acknowledged, right, and, and confessed as, as the source of help and salvation. Peter, Peter and John, they're proclaiming that on the authority of Christ, may Christ, may, may Jesus Christ heal you, and the man gets up, and we're going to see later in the text, the man trusts in the authority and the power and the holiness, the piety of Jesus Christ, and that's why he's healed, Peter's going to explain. Not because of Peter, not because of John, not because of the words that they spoke. This is amazing. And, and, and again, can I just say, uh, I would love to on a Sunday morning walk in here and just see people getting healed. And I pray for it. And God does heal people. And we, got, we have people out right now with COVID, and we're praying that God would heal them. The vaccine, don't know about it. The treatment's not sure about that, whatever. Take everything you got. <laughs> but ultimately, trusting in the Lord as the great physician. But listen, we could so often and so easily be distracted as well by the healing, by the miracle, by the fruit of the power of God. We could be distracted by the one who is gifted and has been given the grace gift, the spiritual gift of healing, of faith, of whatever it is. So some mornings, I don't know about you, if if you're on the team, thank you. If you're on the greeting team, you're on the Sunday uh, team that welcomes people and orients them. But on some Sunday mornings, I walk in and uh, some of you on the team, I'm 
I'm just utterly flabbergasted that you got up early and you're here and you're welcoming and you're smiling, not only because it's hard to wake up early in the morning and you've come to serve us and not yourself, but because I know what your week was like. And yet you're standing out there handing out bulletins and welcoming people on Sunday and I can just rejoice in that. The power of God at work in you and yet miss the explanation the truth behind it. I can be be fascinated with the the gifted person rather than the giver of the gift. And listen, we believe in the gifts. (laughs) Most of all, we believe even in regeneration. Talk about a miracle, new life for those that were spiritually dead with hard hearts and now God has pulled the scales off of that person's eyes and they have new affections and they have new life and they love the brothers and sisters and they live and love Jesus. But even that, even that is is not the goal and where all of this terminates. You see somebody, the walking dead now alive and loving Jesus And it leads us to celebrate and give glory not to the person who's figured it out, they didn't, but to Jesus himself who caused this new life. We are ruthlessly, we need to be ruthlessly focused on the giver of these gifts rather than the gifts themselves or the miracles and fruit that are all around us and they're all around us. But let me give you another one. I'll add another one to it here. Persecution, moving briefly. If you look, chapter 4, and as they were speaking to the people, and now you catch it's Peter, it's John, it's probably everybody, everybody that knows anybody who's got a lanyard on and says, we're with this new thing in Jerusalem called the church. They're telling everybody what's going on here. They say, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed. Why? Not because the guy was healed. They like that too. But because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. And listen, we just went through two years of pandemic. We went through two, three years of, and, and, and I think there's more out ahead for us, of all kinds of divisiveness out there in the world. And I would say a growing maybe undercurrent of persecution in the church. What we believe and sing about every Sunday is quickly going from just quaint, and that's nice for you guys, to hate speech. Not just ignorant. Persecution for us. We're we're in danger of wearing that adversity instead as prosperity, as a badge of honor. Look at us, they hate us. (laughs) Look at us, we're provoking them to punch back at us. Look at us, we're the persecuted ones. We should expect it. (laughs) We should be perplexed when it's not happening. Listen, if everybody out there loves you, you're probably doing something wrong. If you're here and you believe in Jesus, at some point they're going to figure out that you're living countercultural to them. And what you believe, what you believe has bearing on them themselves. 
and not just you and your private, personal, spiritual life. But we could so easily be the church that the city persecutes and rejoice in that, in some sort of odd adversity prosperity equation. Last, last danger before we consider briefly Peter's speech, the numbers. And I think this one gets us all. This one, this one, this one personally have to repent of regularly. Verse 4 of chapter 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Okay, chapter ago it was 3,000. Now it's 5,000. Is it 5,000 men not counting children and women? They all gonna, every, every scholar is going to argue about it. I'm going to say 5,000 plus followers. Okay, <laughs> what is that? I don't know what the social media limit is on Facebook or whatever. A thousand followers that far exceeds it. They're they're racking up the odometer here. There's there's now two thousand more. The group grows by fifty percent on one day, and and we're about to read. If we read in there, well, we did in the persecution that uh, this day now is ending. Right, so it started at three o'clock. It's like six or seven o'clock now. In just a few hours, the church went from three thousand to five thousand. You would think we'd be all high-fiving as we ran out of chairs and we're running audio and video out onto the garden looking for a bigger building for us all to gather in. What, again, a dangerous distraction. Church growth. It's like a hamster wheel that'll just wear you out. We have to, let me give it this way. Resist the temptation to start keeping a record of all the things that God does among us that tempt us to, to pride, to, to affirm you and I. We're doing something right. There's people in the room. You could be doing something right and nobody in the room. You could be doing something right and be in jail. The Apostle Paul spent most of his doing right ministry in jail writing to us. That's why we don't count attendance. We count attendance, I guess, once in a while to figure out where we're at. But we don't talk about numbers, finances, people, your small group. Oh, your small group multiplies and gets small. What are we doing wrong? It's the wrong way to look at it. Your, your small group just dwindles. People just stop coming. You run a Bible study. Nobody shows up. You run a Bible study and everybody shows up. Whether anyone shows up or nobody shows up, same thing. You're preaching Christ. And if anyone shows up, it's not because you're the best Bible study leader or the best healer or the best worship leader or the best preacher or the best church member or the best welcomer. How distracting it is to, you would say, to be pragmatic as we pursue the Lord and to do his work and his ministry. But instead, 
very briefly. Look with me. Chapter, or verse 11, chapter 3, verse 11. What does this church do instead? What does this preacher do instead? What does the apostle do? What should we do? How should we be prepared? What should we be doing as we experience any measure of success? What should we be doing when we're not experiencing a measure of success? But to prepare ourselves for those wins, for those victories, for growth, for gifted leaders, for miracles, What does Peter say? Verse 11. When he clung, the lame beggar clung to Peter and John, now no longer lame. All the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel. And here's a website for you for Sovereign Grace Church of Orange. Why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us? seems so odd, but this is how our response should be. As though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. Now, if Peter the apostle can say, why are you paying attention to me? Why are you staring at me? Why are you wondering about what's going on? This isn't about me. This isn't about us or John or the church. It's about the power of God at work in and through us. He then continues on, verse 13. He starts laying out, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, these are things they know, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified His servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. They're reminding you what just happened a couple months ago. Verse 15. You killed the author of life. That's his answer. You wonder what's going on here? The author of life was crucified, whom God raised from the dead, who was resurrected. To this we are witnesses. And he says, and his name, by faith in his name, verse 16, he has made this man strong. Remember the book of Acts. Uh, the Acts of the Apostle. Is it the Acts of the Holy Spirit? Watch. <laughs> What's going on? These are the continuing works of Jesus. And by his name, verse 16, by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And notice there's no Peter, no John, no church here. It's just Jesus. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man, not their gifting, not the leaders, that is through Jesus this has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. This is utterly opposite of our wisdom and how we calculate and how we naturally respond to success. Listen, the difference, the ultimate difference between God's wisdom and how He grows and advances the gospel and the church in this age and our wisdom, man's wisdom, is is found and located in the cross itself. God's wisdom makes the glory of God And you see here Peter quickly, so quickly, not explaining any medical things, not explaining anything. Hey, well, welcome to our church and this is what we do. And so just immediately cuts to the chase. The wisdom of God is, and his glory is on display. How did this man get healed? Well, we're talking about the grace that's extended through the crucifixion and resurrection and now life of Jesus Christ. 
One commentator says, God's wisdom makes the glory of God's grace our supreme treasure. That's what you watch Peter say immediately. He's like, what happened? Why are you looking at me? Let me tell you about the supreme treasure. Man's wisdom delights, the scholar writes, in seeing himself as resourceful and self-sufficient and self-determining and not utterly dependent on God's free grace, but not the church. Our wisdom is rooted in what the world sees as folly and powerless. Our resurrected Savior. Verse 21, whom heaven must receive the ascension until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. They're pointing way out into the future as well. You want to talk about healing? Let me tell you about healing. Healing starts with God the Father sending God the Son to lay down his life and die and live and die for us to be resurrected and ascended and with a hope and awaiting a blessed hope that one day all sick will be healed. Peter's, the rest of his speech is one, one big warning. That's why I'm warning you. I'm warning myself not to miss, not to miss the most important thing at all, of all. No one missed the miracle. No one missed Peter and John. No one missed the numbers. Those were obvious. No one missed the persecution. Peter's answer is don't refuse. What's being offered to the lame man and to everyone in their hearing and even in this room today as he stands among us, even this morning, the gracious offer of blotting out all your sins. Relief from guilt and condemnation. Healing for your soul. And life eternal. You notice on the church's greatest day, first great day, as everyone wonders and stares, what is our answer? It must be Christ. And Christ alone, all glory belongs to Him. Our privilege, and we want great days, but our privilege will always and ever be to stand as witnesses in His place among us and among this world doing His will, the good works He has planned for all of us, preaching His good news, and then pointing and reminding and affirming, revealing each and every time His glory is displayed. Whether it's a miracle, whether it's someone's life being transformed, or high and great privileged calling is to do the will of God. As J.I. Packer writes, in the power of God for the glory of God. You and I live to manifest the glory of God. It's not our power or piety. Oh, we're in danger of pointing to our power and abilities and giftings and piety and be distracted for them when it goes right. <laughs> as well as when it goes wrong. 
This is why we call ourselves ordinary. As a church, if you, if you get on our website and you look at the culture of church, this is who we are. We're ordinary. We're not trying to impress anyone. We're not trying to promote anyone. But only one. That the power and the power alone and all the credit and glory belongs to Christ for everything you're seeing here and everything that the Lord might do into the future. And I pray, I pray we have many days like this ahead for us, Sovereign Grace Church of Orange, and that we'd be prepared as we are ambitious for his glory to receive it, celebrate it, and then point everyone to the one who did it, Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for recording this first day, one of these first days, a great day in the history of your church. And Lord, as they celebrated and rejoiced in your great work and your great love for this man and for all those that were there and witnessed it, Lord, I pray the same for us, that we would be supremely Christ-centered in our response in trials and suffering, but in prosperity and success as well. Lord, protect us from the perils of pride and help us to see you in every good thing. Do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.